Manhattan spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. And welcome to the 186th Annual Subliminal Perception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody. I'm joined by my pal, Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Not doing too bad. Another wonderful, cold, freezing your dick and balls off week in Minnesota. How is, uh, how's Arizona? Actually, uh, it's gotten quite a bit cold. So we had those, uh, the big storms that rolled in from California. The weird thing is I actually went to work. Uh, so I take off for work about 4.30 in the morning. And my car, where it usually has like my, my Speedo, um, miles per hour, it had a warning come up, like warning me that there might be icy, icy roads ahead, you know, that because of a frost warning. And I was like, oh, shit, that's crazy. It must have like hooked up to my phone immediately, like, and got that warning. Then I remembered that it probably just takes ambient temperature. And I've just never seen it do that before in the year and a half that I've owned it <laughs> because it's never been, it's never gotten down below fucking 30 degrees yeah. when I've been driving. I, I so. was going to say, yeah, very common for newer vehicles here to give you that warning. Yeah. And especially this one was bought up in Idaho or Utah, I believe some Mormons had it. Oh, so it was. Yeah. The funny thing was they spent the entire trip here smoking. So once, once they get out of the Holy land, they can light up, but <laughs> well, at least, you know, nobody's probably ever had sex in your car. So that, I guess that's a positive, well, <laughs> you know, not consensually. No. But. <laughs> Did you buy your car from Jeff Warren Jeffs? Is that what you're trying to say here, Phil? No, uh, it's a joke. <laughs> most Mormons are nice people. Yeah. yeah. There are the crazy ones, the the FLDLS whatever ones. Yeah. But yeah. Most of every, actually every, every Mormon person I've ever met is really pretty cool, actually. So just All decent right. people. Shout out to the Mormons. Hope you get your planet. Um. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, we wanted to talk about the hit blockbuster show taking over HBO um, I don't remember. I think you might have lightly mentioned it either off the air or on the air last week, but uh, we'll talk about The Last of Us. I don't yeah. re- you you said you'd never played the game, right? I had never played the game. So I came into it completely cold. Didn't know anything about it. OK, so I I just literally before we started recording, I watched the first episode, probably watch the second one after we're done. But uh, very good show. Obviously, there's a few scenes that are not in the game, but it's uh, so far following it pretty good. And if it follows the game and the kind of building shot in the background at the very end of the episode, that was like one of the my favorite parts of the video game. So I hope the episode nails it. Yeah. So I actually watched the I don't want to ruin anything for you because you've only watched the first episode. So the second episode takes place in a city, like one of like a huge abandoned city. So it's kind of like the dangers of like, you know, trying not to step on any of the fungus because they'll wake up, you know, the the 
the infected army pretty much that's just kind of like hanging out in the city yeah waiting for food to come by yeah so it's it's basically like explaining how it's this network of fungus and you know the dangers of all of this shit so i'm curious if they're gonna get through like the whole story that transpires in the first video game in the first season that's what i will be curious about um i never played the second game it wasn't quite as well received but um I don't know if they make seasons in the in the future. The other thing I wanted to ask you about real quick before we get going here, okay. and it's just reminding me because off the air we were talking about healthcare stuff, right? Um, yep. <laughs> have you watched the cyberpunk show on Netflix? No, I have not. You're familiar with that video game, right? Yeah, no, I know the I know the video game. I just I just haven't watched the show. So. <laughs> There's like three, I've only three episodes in and there's like three scenes already where they need like medical help and they're like scanning them. They're like, oh, you ain't got any insurance, man. I, I can't help you out. <laughs> Tell them get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Your card's been declined, asshole. Get the fuck out of here. And there's someone who dies and the guy's like, <laughs> he's like looking at his money and stuff. He's like, well, the best we could do is this very budget discount uh, cremation for the person you don't have any more money so this is the best we can do so it's basically like even if you die you don't have enough insurance or money you're just just tossed aside like it's nothing they basically cremate you and then throw you into a shoebox. yeah Say, here you go yeah <laughs> you owe us 40 bucks for the shoebox, by the way that's all right you know maybe all the health insurance companies have an erection the whole time that movie's going or the show's going on but um, hmm. yeah, it might be, it could be a future that happens. I'm just going to say that. Dude, I, I don't know. It, I mean, everyone's saying it, but it feels like we are spinning the fucking drain like faster than ever before. After basically the, you know, crash of 2008, it felt like we were steadily like going up and up and up. And even like during the Trump years, well, I mean, really it hit that crescendo where economy was doing really well. Housing was pretty cheap. You know, people were starting to get money basically starting to come back and all of a sudden now it's just every it's just blow after blow dick kick after dick kick like you just can't get up you know no no um maybe your prediction you made in the uh the 2022 uh looking back and forward episode maybe it'll come true i don't know i mean i kind of hope not because you know that it's not great. It's a lot of hard living for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, where we're all renting and robots take our job. Basic robots and AI take our job. Yeah, it's uh, maybe there'll be nice robots for a while. I don't know, but uh, I'm not looking forward to that future. Yeah, I was told by someone I know who listens like uh, in real life that I forgot to talk about the little nanobots, the little ones that are going to come inside of our body and like do, you know, Basically, like how that's going to revolutionize like healthcare and stuff like that too. So I never mentioned that, but that's also a big one. But yeah, that's a maybe that's a good thing for the future. But I can see how the corporations would fucking you know turn that shit bad on us too. So yeah, yeah, greed will ruin everything. That is for sure. But uh, definitely. Anyway, Phil, let's go ahead. We kind of got a thick boy here, so yep. I'm going to go ahead and uh, let you take the floor. All right, said it this week. We will not be covering a so-called conspiracy theory like usual. Instead, Cody and I will be discussing a true conspiracy, 
formulated by members of the United States government in order to diminish and eventually attempt to destroy cultures, practices, and even languages of multiple indigenous nations within the borders of the United States under the guise of humanitarian aims and progress. Now, these programs, which evolved during the 19th century and still remained deep into the 20th century, targeted the most vulnerable among the indigenous communities from around the country. That was the children whom they would abduct from their homes and force their parents to comply or face dire consequences for themselves and their communities. And of course, I am talking about the government programs mandating Indian boarding schools and the true aims of these institutions. Yeah, okay. I haven't heard, you know, obviously I know stuff like this existed. I don't know if I have heard a whole lot about the Indian boarding schools. I'm guessing it's not great. No, yeah. Very not. bad. <laughs> no, it's not great at all. It's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Um. obviously... America, we, the United States, and even Canada. I know Canada is guilty of this too. Um, yes. Very, pretty dark history with Native Americans. Oh, definitely. There's a reason why the majority of us are not learning about this in school. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's pretty fucking rough. And uh, it's one of those little, you know, the stains that they want to forget about pretty much. Right. Right. Yeah. They, uh, you probably have to wait to college to hear this stuff. Oh, and you have to take very specialized classes to even hear about this in college. Really? So. You would assume? Oh, yeah. You you wouldn't know. Like a, a normal college American history class, you're not going to hear this at all. Really? See, they I might, maybe a footnote in indigenous and American government interactions. You might hear a little bit about it, but definitely like not a deep dive unless like the class is like specifically for like this kind of stuff. See, I always took it as, I mean, some of the teachers, you know, obviously I didn't go to like as nice of a school as you did, but there was a few of them who were like, how would you say this? They, they like, oh, I'm going to stick it to the government by telling these kids all the, you know, like oh. this. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I'm going to let yeah. you in on their dirty little secrets because I like to, I'm smarter than everyone. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the, I guess that's not the case. Yeah, well, I, mean, I I took a shit ton of history classes when I was at uh, UNI and at ASU. And basically, like, well, I remember I took this one on South and Central America. Basically, the governments treated their people and um, their people trying to, like, revolt against, you know, dictatorships. And that was a really interesting class and something you really don't hear a lot about of. Kind of like how the American government was really setting up like the banana republics and shit and like the fight that people had against them. Like the Allende regime in Chile is one of the big ones. Mm, okay. Yeah. Now, before I get started, I'm going to let you in on like where I got my information from, the majority of which is really taken from the Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative Investigative Report, which was published in May 2022. This is a 106-page report on the origins, history, consequences of federally funded schools across the country. Basically, it was set up by Interior Secretary Deb Holland in July of 2021, and she is the first ever Native American person to serve as a cabinet secretary. Under She's under the uh, Biden administration. This was just released like less than a year ago? 
Yeah, basically at her urging, this report was made wow. to investigate this stuff. So, well, I mean, I mean, I don't know. Does Biden elect? Like, did he elect Deb, or did he? Did somebody else, or like, you know? Well, the president nominates his okay. uh, his cabinet. Gotcha. Yeah. And then they get approved by Congress. So. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So, I'll be curious to hear what's in this report. Yeah. There's not a ton of really good information on the big picture of all of this. There's a there's a ton of stories that I was reading through of kind of like firsthand accounts. Not really not really a lot of firsthand accounts from like the 19th century. This is more from like the dying days of these boarding schools. So like people who are still alive or maybe their children, people who went to these schools in like the forties, fifties and sixties. Okay. All right. That makes yeah. sense. I always wondered, you know, when the government releases documents, I always wonder how do they fill so many pages with subjects that might not be that detailed? Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they basically, you know, they collect it all, they organize it, and then they just splatter it all over the pages. But they also fill those pages with like, kind of like their methodology, uh, their aims, their goals for why they wrote the report, who all, you know, funded it, who all did it, that kind of stuff. Basically, like, you know, a big splash of everything they're about, along with the subject, too. That's why this is 106 pages. Yeah. Because they, you know, and they have sightings at the bottom. So some of the pages only have two paragraphs on them and it's all sighting. Ah, so, okay. Yeah. All right. Just, just like a paper that you write for college. You know, if you cite a bunch of things, you don't have to make it, you know, quite as dense as you might if you had very few <laughs> sighting. Very true. I mean, think about the UFO reports, right? That was a lot of pages to basically tell you that it's not UFOs. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now, these schools we will be discussing would not have been possible without the many treaties signed between the United States government and the indigenous nations across the United States, including Alaska and Hawaii, which, among other unfair stipulations, often mandated the education of native children provided by the federal government. These treaties were almost always signed under extreme duress or at least by means of trickery. And the education promised, which started off like seemingly with good intentions, would evolve into something unimaginable for these communities. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, I bet this started off, it's like, a, like maybe something, I mean, obviously you're going to tell us about it, but maybe like uh, in these communities, try to give them access to, I guess, public schools like the rest of the country has. I assume it was going to start like that. And then obviously somebody or someone, you know, some group or yeah. something took it in a very dark direction, which seems to happen a lot. Yeah. Well, one of the instances that the report cites pretty early on is basically in the late 1700s, there was a reservation or there was a treaty signed that kind of set up this reservation. One of the stipulations was that the United States government was going to build a mill on the reservation and they would provide education for basically a few of the people to kind of run, operate and maintain that mill. That was the education that the, you know, the government promised was just basically training a few of the inhabitants of the reservation in order to kind of, you know, be able to 
produced by themselves. You know, a hundred years later, that completely turned into basically just wholesale, you know, abducting of children. Oof, Jesus. How the hell does it take that much of a heel turn? I guess we'll yeah, find well, out. It, it's, I, I will get into it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically, you know, step by step. And it's this idea that the United States government and a lot of European countries involved in, you know, the Western Hemisphere had on how to you know, really just bring into the fold these indigenous communities. Kind of like a, a form of colonization. Yes. Well, the colonization was already, that was, that was kind of like the early phase. And then this is basically, you know, getting the land for themselves and putting these people to work, getting them into civilization or what they thought of as civilization. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Now, these educational programs, which usually started off as mere day schools, were normally taught by the wives of the military officers stationed at the many camps near these communities. Or possibly a teacher may have been brought in from off-site to give these children basic education, some vocational training. Uh, most importantly, though, they would be taught English and indoctrination into Western society. Now, of course also had to do with forced religious conversion, which you can imagine just, you know, the entire spread of it was happening, especially you know, early country. There was still a lot of Puritans around. Yeah, absolutely. Or what we might, you know, not official Puritans, but what we might call. Right. However, these early schools would mostly fail. This was due to the fact that students didn't want to attend the school. Also, any indoctrination pushed upon them during the day would be completely wiped away when the children went home, back to their families, and a true accepted cultures and practices. So, I mean, the shit's not going to work when you go home and you're like, ah, oh, good, I can, you know, not have to listen to that bitch at front of the classroom, you know, <laughs> telling me about her fucking gods. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see. So they were, um, I guess trying to convert them to all Christianity, I would assume, right? Yeah, trying to teach them English, convert them to Christianity, get them out of the civilization. They were trying, they were basically trying to just have them go to school, just like they were, you know, like Western society children, and kind of learn everything that these, you know, basically like American children are brought up in the society, and it's all that they know. These children are brought up in their society, and it's all that they know. But of course, you know, the religious people are going to think that they can just, you know, bring Jesus to anybody. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess in a weird way, maybe not so much, I guess, you and I, but say we went to Catholic school when we came <laughs> home, guess what? It was still God waiting there for it, you know. Uh, my parents didn't really talk about it that much, but, uh, my, gr obviously, you know, my grandma, very oh, devout yeah. Catholic woman. Um, <laughs> I, I remember my grandma, um, she, my grandpa and grandma, good and my mom's mom and dad, they came to town and like, they were hanging out with us. It was like a Saturday and my grandma and grandpa took us to church on a Saturday night and we couldn't believe it. We were like, this place is open on Saturday, but we had to pretend like it was a normal thing for us to go to church. Just, you know, whenever they, you know, like, Oh yeah, I go to church multiple times a week. Like, no, not unless we're in school forced to. That was my grandma's favorite time to go. I think it was the mass started at four. 
It's mm. 340 or 4, one of the two. Yeah. Well, and your grandma lived right across the street from the church. Very so. true. Very true. <laughs> she, she could just walk through, maybe go through. If they had a drive through, she could just pop in. <laughs> Very true. Now, here lies the problem with just kind of going to a day school. The aims of these schools were actually never meant to give these native children the basic education that they aimed. Instead, it was actually meant to discontinue the practices and cultures of their forebears, which the framers of these programs would decide could not work unless these children were permanently severed from their families and communities. And that's where the Indian boarding school programs would come in. This was actually meant that children as young as four or five were either sent to local boarding schools or possibly shipped hundreds of miles away from their families and communities with other removed children and kept away, sometimes indefinitely. So their main goal uh, in shipping them away was strictly for the religious aspect of it? Or, well, we, or was that civilized just a- to? So it was an early idea to civilize Native American people in their mind. You know, you take their young away from them, and then that next generation, I'll, I'll get into it a, a bit more later, but it's pretty, if you think about it, so basically you separate each generation away from their family, and then more and more as you teach English, as you teach kind of the, you know, white society's way of life, to these children, they're supposed to pick it up more and more and, you know, really end their own practice. And within, you know, they're hoping a few generations, they've completely wiped out Native American languages, practices, religion, all of that. Got them to, you know, work in factories, you know, move on to farms, that kind of stuff. Give up their way of life in maybe a hundred years after a few generations. Gotcha. Okay, that... See, I was thinking maybe it was um, primarily for the Christian things, but now it's kind of an all-encompassing thing. Okay, this makes more sense. I, uh, You know what's weird, and I hope this doesn't do- sound too strange, but this type of thing almost happens, I, I don't want to say naturally, but over time. Because, you know, where I live, a uh, lot of immigrants came here, right? Yeah. And when you get to about, from what I've noticed, you get, you know, maybe... The grandparents or parents came from wherever, and by like the third generation, they're pretty far removed from maybe some of the cultural practices that they, like their grandparents might do all the time. Not that it's eradicated or anything, but it's just like, they kind of just become like everyone else. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, just look at the Irish coming in, you know, in the 19th century, the late 18th century, all the way you know, up until like the 20th century. Think about my ancestors immigrated here four or five generations ago, and I have absolutely nothing common with someone who's from Ireland or Czechoslovakia or Germany or Sweden, you know, like I'm just an American dude. So, you know, five generations, four generations, and it's gone. My grandpa used to talk about like his, you know, grandpa, and his dad, kind of how they acted a little bit. But I didn't, all I knew was my grandpa, you know, just kind of had a funny Northwest Iowa sounding accent. <laughs> yeah. That's it. You know what I mean? Like, just, it wasn't that much different from my own. It was, you know, just a, just a, a little Fargoian kind of 
Yeah, about the only thing for between, like, uh, you know, I'm primarily German-Norwegian. Uh, my great-grandpa came from Norway. About the only thing, you know, people retain is uh, food stuff, usually. That's what I've noticed, like, food from whatever country they're from, usually always is on the table somewhere or something like that, At uh, you know, during events. That's how my family kind of is. I don't know um, if that goes for you, but there's always, like, usually Lefsa or... Lefsa, yeah. Or, I was going to say Lefsa. Yeah, but. German shit that people don't even realize was German shit. That's the one thing I found interesting. Like, my mom will cook some shit my grandma was making, and she didn't even realize like where those recipes have been passed down from. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the stuff that gets passed down. Kind of the, the stuff that everyone in, you know, still really enjoys. And a lot of, a lot of people, you know, go out of their way to learn the cultures of their, you know, their ancestors, that sort of thing. But if you don't really go out of your way, or if you don't go out of your way to like, learn how to cook that's like, imagine, you know, like your mom learned it from your grandma. So if your sister never really cared about learning it from your, your mom, then she's not going to teach any of her kids. And then that shit dies out. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah. that's kind of a yeah. weird, I mean, obviously the, the situations we're talking about are significantly different than how these people were treated, obviously. Um, but, oh yeah. The forced removal from yeah. these cultures. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. It, and it's not like these people, you know, and it's not like the Native Americans were from some far off land that, you know, they came in and were changed because they lived in New York City or they lived in Chicago. Like they were home. Like that yeah, was, this you know, is their even home. though they were even though they were forced from their lands that they had been on for generations into reservations, they were still around their people. You yeah. Know, home. Yeah. But yeah. And obviously any immigrants who come here freely or whatever, they're obviously allowed to practice whatever religion they want to which clearly these kids were not allowed to or they were trying not to allow them to oh they would it was yeah i'll get into it later but there were uh you know fucking sharp reprimands for practicing yeah. any of your own culture yeah so um but yeah it's i mean also you said the thing about christianity you have to remember christianity is just a method of control so it's part of, it's not to teach them Christianity. You teach them Christianity for the main goal, which is control. Right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's, well, let's be fair, though. The Mormons do get in here eventually, too. Into like schools? In, no, like trying to force their way into indigenous communities. Oh, I didn't hear. I don't know much about that. that I, that's This probably isn't about that, but that definitely did happen. Okay. Gotcha. So I'm going to go into a little bit about like what these schools kind of were. Uh, the The report has a lot of parameters for how they classify an Indian school. Okay. They break them down to the four key points. That being the first one, housing. The institution has been described as providing on-site housing or overnight lodging. This includes dormitory, an orphanage, asylum, residential boarding, jail, or quarters uh none of those sound great um <laughs> yeah no no all of them are like bad uh, let's just say three-fourths of them yeah anyone bad. so so the thing that made me want to do this up i was watching the show 1923 
And the girl in that show is actually forced to live on an uh, an orphanage run by Catholic nuns and Catholic Ooh, priests. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not it's, good. Uh, it's pretty fucking terrible. So I'm not really getting into orphanages. I'm talking more about the uh, the boarding schools, but they're they're kind of saying this. These are all part of the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, jails and asylums. A lot of, you know, a lot of these Native Americans would be charged with crimes and then sent to these places. And kind of it's one of those deals where it's almost like they're, you know, they don't have a release date because they just have to live there now. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's very that's very sad and tragic. Yeah, like a juvenile home that you never get, you know, allowed to leave. You're an adult and then you just kind of, you know, they don't it's not like they want you to go back to your home, you know, because they had a purpose for you. But right. So the second one was education. Now, these institutions have been described as providing formal academic or vocational training and instruction. This includes mission schools, religious training, industrial training, manual labor, academy, seminary boarding schools and day schools okay so again none of this is good no <laughs> no uh we'll talk about the manual labor um that you know was supposedly taught at these schools was mostly just you know for free and cheap labor basically yeah. for the surrounding communities going all nike on them um yep it uh a seminary so they were trying to force them to become like uh, religious priests? leaders in their own community yeah priests nuns i i guess i don't really know what else that's like the two role two jobs right <laughs> a priest or a nun <laughs> priests nuns well there's like rev different churches have you know like reverends oh, yeah. and deacons and true, you true. know i keep thinking about catholics that's why why i'm like there's like two jobs and then you can kind of move up and down from there if you're if you're a dude, if you're a chick, you just <laughs> you just kind of like languish you in can, your fucking misery. You can become mother superior. That's like the step up from a nun. <laughs> yeah, that sounds sounds real great. You just <laughs> you're like the meanest nun and you're in charge, but it's still technically a pay increase, I guess. Yeah, well, they don't really get paid, but no matter what, it sounds like hell. <laughs> yeah. So another uh, another thing that they described of these was that they always would have federal support. Now, these institutions have been described as receiving federal government funds or other federal support. This includes agency, independent, contract, mission, contract with white schools, government, semi-government, or under superintendency. Okay, contract with white schools? What does that even mean? Yeah, I don't really know what that one means if it's so you got to understand there were hundreds of these schools. So it's basically all different like styles of of schools. So there might have been where they were trying to mix these children with, you know, the American like the white children just to try to maybe get them more civilized in their minds. OK, I okay. don't really I didn't really read much about uh, like that part, I was reading more about kind of the, you know, the government run ones, the mission ones, that kind of thing. We can I think we can just put a blanket over it that even though some of these might sound normal, they're probably not good. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, when attendance is mandatory, I mean, really reading about these, they sound more like concentration. Camps yeah, than absolutely. any type of, you know, school or, you know, mission work or whatnot. 
what you might be thinking. And like kind of what you're reading, if I'm following you right, would have been things set up in the 1800s. Yeah, a lot of like for the most part, these were all set up in the like late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, They started dying out and eventually um, some of the laws changed that really, you know, got them to either soften up or completely end. There are actually still, I was reading about 90 schools supposedly that are still open, but they're much different today than they were before. There's rights and laws now. Yeah, yeah. You kind of forget. I mean, three quarters of the 1900s is kind of fucked up. Probably even more than that. Of the 1900s? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, (laughs) shit. Well, I mean, we the 50s, we always have a rosy image of the 50s painted in the 60s. But no, it was still pretty shitty. Like, you know what? Outside of suburban America, it was still pretty shitty in most places. Once you start- a, lot of place, a lot of places didn't even have electricity until like I, the 60s. I was like getting, some farms. When I was younger, that's kind of what I thought, you know, because there's like, oh, there's cool cars. Everybody seems happy. There's ice cream shops and Coke and whatever. <laughs> and then you start like reading history books and stuff. And you're like, I don't even know if there's ever been a great decade in in human existence, but uh, it's slowly getting better. Yeah, it's just it's it's funny because what are they going to say about like our time, like 50 years from now? I mean, you know how well, basically, like during the Reagan era, you know, during that time, it, it was pretty shitty. But everyone now looks back and thinks it's so great, you know. Like, oh, the 80s, they were so great. It's like, it's it's just like how we heard about the 50s, like when we were growing up in the 90s. Well, I think the only people who think the 80s are cool are like people who are teenagers during that time, <laughs> where it was yeah. basically cool to drink and drive all the time and just be drunk all the time and fucking smoke cigarettes all the time. You just walk into a restaurant smoking a cigarette yeah. and sat at your table yeah. smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. It seems like this... Like this decade is seems to be a lot more progress being made, you know, as as far as like humanitarian things and and like mm. equality and stuff like that. But yeah, I obviously it's significantly better than a hundred years ago where you had stuff like this. Oh yeah, definitely. It's I mean, who knows what the next twenty years is gonna be like, what way we're going. I mean, the fucking earth could be a burnt out cinder in the next ten years, so Fucking Akon's gonna know. save us. Don't worry. Akon will save us. He'll <laughs> fuck all the women, but he will save us. That's Don't fine. Worry. It's fine. Listen to last week's episode. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. So the last one I'm gonna mention is just time frame. Uh, these institutions really started kind of like when America started. Uh, I mean, even you know the British were running these schools themselves in Canada. Uh, also, Russia had some schools in Alaska. And we kind of took over those schools when we took over Alaska. So it's kind of really the the Indian boarding school system kind of grew up with the American system and kind of evolved with it. And, you know, but the time frame, it ends pretty abruptly in the early 1970s. So basically there were laws that changed and didn't allow these schools to force children to go there anymore. And once you stop mandating people to go to somewhere that they don't want to be, it usually shuts down. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, crazy. It took till that long. Oh, God. Yeah. No, it was civil rights. Yeah. It just, 
it just finally fucking happened. And it's one of those things too that really, unless you were part of those communities that were affected by it, or you went out and searched for the information, a lot of people probably didn't hear about these, or they thought that they were like benevolent. Because imagine, imagine someone you know in small town America giving money to their church, and then the church talking about going on missions to these places. You think that it's like benevolent. You think that yeah. they're great. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's just think think about this. My, if I, I guarantee you, if I was to ask either my mom or my dad about any of this, they would have no idea. I mean, I don't know about your mom or dad, but I, I'm guessing they would have no idea this is going on. Or oh, this was I, going I on. I highly doubt it. She, I mean... Like I mentioned, so she grew up going to church and, you know, went to a Catholic school. She might have heard about some of the missions still going on, like during the 1960s. But like, that's it. That's maybe all that she heard. There just wasn't really a lot that came out about. That. I mean, anybody who's been to the airport in the last fucking how many ever years, you can see piles of missions <laughs> going to other countries. I mean, they still I think some religions you're like required to go to X, Y, and Z country and convert X people, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They're, uh, how would I put it? Not really a rite of passage type situation with a lot of these churches. But yeah, it's just one of these things that they all kind of go through. And the crazy thing is they allow them to go, but they don't think it's going to be just a fuck fest when they get there. Of course, <laughs> they don't really, they're not sending them to like Miami or Vegas or, you know, somewhere cool. It's no, they, you know, somewhere shitty. God can't see me losing my Virginia in Guadalajara. Like, I don't, I don't soaking know. It up in Gua, soaking it up in Guatemala. Just yeah. like, if you want to help these communities, that's great. But leave your religion at home. Come on. Oh, yeah. No, it's a package deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's the bread and the Bible that yeah. come together. Yeah. It's, I don't like it. Now, like I mentioned earlier, the treaties that many of these nations signed with the United States government, mandated some form of education. There would be more and more treaties, you know, signed and ratified uh, during the 19th century. Uh, really, this, it seems like the requirements would become more and more heavy-handed as time went on. Uh, in the cases of many treaties, when it came to families whom the children belonged to, they really allowed for the removal of their sons and daughters from their home, and this was completely compulsory. Uh, there was a punishment for refusing to give up your children, and it was extremely harsh. Uh, whether that be having the families or possibly even the communities rations cut, they could be beaten, uh, threatened with imprisonment, even death, just for refusing to send away their four or five-year-old children for an indeterminate amount of time. And the people of these communities had heard about these schools, and some of them even had grown up in them. Man, that is... I, I was kind of wondering how they were forcing them, but very clearly they were forcing them physically or with pretty extreme punishments. Oh, yeah. It was definitely coercion. Um, basically, they would just call up the leaders of these communities and tell them, like, you know, bring us your children or we'll come get them in some cases. Jesus Christ. That is uh, that's dark. It's like yeah. I, I'm guessing a lot of people don't know that. Oh, yeah. No, it was like they would come and get them. Basically, the re they would set up. They had reservation police uh, on some of these places that would just come. And, you know, if they if, if they found a kid that they thought was supposed to be in that school, they would take them. Jesus. 
Now, the law that allowed for the opening of federal schools on a national level uh, without anything to do with the treaty was the Indian Civilization Act of 1819, which called for the civilization of Native Americans through education. This really opened up the door for it to become a federal program. Okay, so before this law, were they just kind of doing it in other ways then? Like outside of the government? It was kind of set up mostly just by like these treaties. So like I, like I mentioned, they kind of evolve over time. So it starts off as day schools and then moves into kind of like a school that they have to live and learn at near their reservations. And then it kind of moves into, you know, shipping them out, mixing different nations together in these schools to kind of, you know, try to break their civilization. Gotcha. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Now, these harsh reprisals for the family's refusal to attend an Indian school were all part of a two-part policy born during the creation of the United States, with that policy directing the federal government to take away native lands from the indigenous peoples, while at the same time dissolving their practices and cultures. This idea of education as a weapon against native populations began all the way back with President George Washington, who thought that assimilating these populations was the cheapest and safest way of subduing the Indian opposition. Jesus, that man, they started this that long ago? Yes. I mean, not obviously the boarding school, but the idea of it. Yeah, it was kind of, it was born during, so you got to remember too, Uh, Back during George Washington's time, there was, you know, the 13 original states and there was the land kind of in the Appalachians that they were trying to, that was like the West for them, was the lands like Kentucky, Tennessee, Ohio, you know, those lands that they had just gained after the war. That was like, that was the, the new frontier. So really like native populations, it's not. Like the country wasn't full of 50 states, like, you know, the lower 48. It's not like it was today. It was very, like, very wild lands, especially in the lands that they were going into. You know, Kentucky with yeah. being it how it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of crazy to think about that during that time, they probably didn't really have a scope of how big, you know, America was. Well, yeah. I mean, they're... So I, I don't really know. I don't really know if they knew how a successful expansion of the United States would be. You know, it's kind of it's kind of a deal where really they weren't actually thinking about letting in other states after the original thirteen. They just kind of thought that those states would run the territories to the west, and then you know it would be mostly coastal shit going on. Yeah, it's just uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, even it's weird. The Louisiana per the Louisiana purchase they weren't even sure if that was legal i mean technically it wasn't anyway right well i mean you know (laughs) it was a good deal yeah but i mean you are stealing land from indigenous people either way well no i meant like how much they paid france for it it was a good deal and you know they got it for almost nothing because napoleon needed money for his wars and you know he couldn't do anything with it anyway but it's one of those deals where the people who were that we're getting way off topic here. Yeah. The people who were sent to France to negotiate for just the city of New Orleans were offered like the greatest deal of a fucking lifetime. And basically 
doubling the size of the entire country. So they yeah. kind of said yes. They just said they, we don't care if the money's approved or not. Just yes. Blanket <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Now, one of the kind of things that I was reading, a man named William A. Jones, who was commissioner of Indian Affairs at the time, described the main goal of applying systematic militarized and identity alteration methodologies in the federal Indian boarding school system. And the report goes on to quote him saying, the young of the wild bird, though born in captivity, naturally retains the instincts of freedom so strong in the parents and beats the bars to secure it. While after several generations of, ca of captivity, a young bird will return to the cage after a brief period of freedom. So with the Indian child, the first wild, and he says a slur there, placed in the school, chaps at the loss of freedom and longs to return to his wildwood home. His offspring retain some of the habits acquired by the parent. These habits receive fresh development in each successive generation, fixing new rules of conduct, different aspirations, and greater desires to be in touch with the dominant race. So this is, Ooh. he's basically like saying, this is systematic. We will take them generation by generation, change these people, basically into white Americans is what their aims were. This is this whole like more quote, European. This whole quote like sounds like something you'd read in Mein Kampf or something. Like it's pretty dark, you know, when you really sit and and uh, you know read it bit by bit. Um, I get he's trying to be cute with the bird thing, but uh, yeah, it's uh, especially when you when any. I don't. I don't think. There is a sentence you could possibly make in the entire world where dominant race isn't bad. Yeah. <laughs> Mentioning dominant race. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, you, could, you couldn't make any combination of a series of letters or series of words, I should say. And you put dominant race anywhere in there, unless it's maybe race cars. But it just sounds so bad. Oh, definitely. You got to think, too, we grew up in a time of, you know, not thinking this way. Yeah. 150 yeah. years ago, this was normal. This was enlightened thinking, probably. Yeah. You know, yeah, you got to think, true. you got to think, too, this kind of thinking back then was thought as like humanitarian. Like, oh, look at how good we're doing helping these people. Like they right. thought that they were helping them by robbing them of their children and, you know, beating civilization into them. Very true. That is a good point. Now, in the late 19th century, American policy, when it came to Native Americans, moved away from the signing of treaties with individual tribes and nations, and instead, they would go in the direction of making laws that generally governed the entire Native population of the United States. Among those laws, some were signed into law forcing the attendance of what they called suitable children into these Native American boarding schools. After these laws were signed, the forced removal from reservations and families became widespread, no matter the former treaties signed with the federal government. So the treaties that came before that, after these laws, it didn't matter if they mentioned any kind of education at all. It was just mandatory now. So the initial treaties, if they were with individual tribes, does that mean they signed them with the... Um, cooperation of maybe the tribal leaders or that was just a forced treaty on them it was signed between both sides so back in the 19th century you have to remember, like 
these were treated as sovereign nations. Okay. So it's not like they were treated like as a population on the whole. You know, they were basically these treaties were with each individual groups. Gotcha. So they I'm assuming they probably sold them a bag of lies at first, maybe. You know what I mean? Well, here's the problem, too. So a lot of these treaties, government would tell the nations that, like, you have to follow these rules. But if we want to break them, it's not really us breaking the treaty. You know, we're just changing. We're just, we're amending. But if you even don't, you know, do something, we if you don't do something that we want to do, we're going to say you're breaking the treaty. Also, if these treaties didn't go in the favor of the U.S. government 100%, like say there happened to be like gold found on like these reservation lands, basically they would say like, oh, you're breaking the treaty. Now we have to sign a new one where you give up that land. You know, basically they would come up with some idea. Yeah. Just just moving the goalposts, changing the rules. There was never going to be any sort of um, benefit to the tribes in any way, shape, or form for of these treaties and such. Oh, yeah. And it was a lot of, like, I was read through this whole report, and it really seemed like like giving them land at all, like, during the beginning of the 18th century, seemed like they had it in mind that they were just going to steal that land away anyway. Like, eventually, they were just going to pick it apart bit by bit. Yeah. And get them all to be, try to get them all to be, like, farmers and factory workers basically yeah yeah not blacksmiths all of that right you know start towns and stop hunting and everything right one instance was the forced removal of mescalaro and chicorio apache children from their homes after u.s indian agent fletcher j coward worked with reservation police in an effort to fill the attendance of the indian boarding school system now he wrote I found the attendance at the boarding school about half of what it should be, and at once set about increasing it to full capacity of the accommodation. This I found extremely difficult. When called upon for children, the chiefs, almost without exception, declared there were none suitable for school in their camps. Everything in the way of persuasion and argument having failed, I became necessary to visit the camps unexpectedly with a detachment of Indian police and seize such children as were proper and take them away to school, willing or unwilling. Some hurried their children off to the mountains or hid them away in camp, and the Indian police had to chase and capture them like so many wild rabbits. Wow. Okay. This guy, real asshole. Um... I didn't even know there was such a job title as U.S. Indian agent. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So basically he's talking about looking at the books and their numbers weren't up as high as it should be. So they went, you know, first he went to the leaders of those communities and tried to get them, you know, coerce them to, you know, bring the, bring him more children. But he ended up having to take the police and go grab them, abduct them from their homes. Jesus, did he have like a quota he had to fill for these schools or what? Like, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. So the thing is, it's kind of like nowadays with these factory prison systems that we have, the private prison industry. Yeah. If they don't meet their numbers, they're not going to let people like go out on parole. You know, like a lot of the judges are given a quota of how many people to send to these prisons. So, you know, they'll get longer sentence you know, 
who knows if they're guilty or not guilty, you're going to jail anyway. One of those deals. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty so. disgusting, to be honest with you. But yeah, that's one of the big things is quotas in these situations. They're yeah. just, you know, they're just trying to basically fill these places up so that they're profitable. Well, I mean, very American fucking, you know. Yeah. Greed problem. Um, Yeah. very. Yeah. I mean, even in his quote, it's very clear that he needs to fill these schools up by force if necessary. Yeah. From the sound of what he said, that's pretty much his job. Yeah. Now, after being ripped from their parents' arms, the children would be sent across the country to their new homes away from their families. Upon arriving at the boarding school, the children were forcefully assimilated into their new environment, having their long hair cut short, their traditional clothing and belongings taken away, to be dressed in Western clothing, even having their real names taken off of them as well, changing it instead to a more European-sounding Christian name. All of these are considered identity alteration methodologies, which was meant to sever the victim from their culture and family. I mean, yeah, doing that to uh, anybody would definitely dismantle any of their, you know, heritage and stuff. God, it's just crazy oh. to imagine being okay with doing this to somebody. Yeah, and then it's happening to, you know, four, five, zero, and now the only family that they know are also in these schools. You know, it's it's a lot of them don't speak English and don't speak each other's language. So they have a hard time communicating with each other. It's kind of hard to, you know, make packs with people to run away when you can't speak their language. True. Or Very or true. devise a plan to get the fuck out of there. So Very true. I didn't even consider that, but yeah, that is uh it's a very good point, Phil. Yeah, we're going to talk about it a little bit later during like what punishments were were going on, but like trying to run away from these places and punishing runaways was a big part of it. Really? So. Okay. Oh, yeah. Now, also, the use of their native language and religion was strictly forbade, with many of these schools being purposely filled, like I just mentioned, with children from many different tribes and nations, meant to sever each individual's connection to their home communities that they had been recently removed from. Right. Yeah, it's, it's you know, kind of like you said in the in the last bit there, it's just more of the same. They won't. But yeah, like, I wonder... How did the teacher, or if it was a teacher, whatever, the this person there, how were they even attempting to, I guess, quote-unquote, educate them if all of them spoke a different dialect? And, you know, you know what I so mean? The, so the first thing that they would be taught is English. That's like, the you know, from the moment they got to school and were kind of in-processed, their first classes was like a crash course in English. You know, basically you teach them the English first, then whatever else you need to teach them or tell them what to do. Basically, you know, you you can do that, but you have to teach them the English first. Right. Yeah, I suppose yeah. that's I suppose that's true. Now, after the children had been processed into the boarding school, they would learn how these institutions were to be run, as many of the schools based their education on a strict militaristic style. Think of it like a boot camp for toddlers where the children were split up into divisions and battalions, where they would be taught to march and take orders like a fresh-faced cadet in a real military school. Even having ranks for the older children 
whom were given the power to dole out punishment among the younger children, given that they had shown themselves to be cooperative to the masters of the school. So basically, if you, you know, if you were a obedience and you you were what they wanted you to be you would start getting power they would the carrot and the stick if you were bad they would beat the fuck out of you but if you were good they would give you you know special treatment yeah let you be the master of the other children it's uh you know it's weird a lot of like all the history and and stuff like that you know true crime stuff whatever a lot of the schools like this not necessarily for indigenous kids, but just any kid in general. It seemed like during this time, there was a lot of like where the older kids can beat the younger kids and then the adults can beat the older kids. You know, like this weird system that they've set up to just do stuff like this. Um, it's very heavy. Do you, do you kind of know what I'm talking about? Well, there was a lot of back then. There was a lot of like one room school where there would be a main teacher but then kind of like the little children would be taught by some of the older kids, like the easy stuff. Yeah. And they were all, they were all kind of doing their own work, but you know, like some, the little kids would be learning how to read and write. The older kids would be learning math. And then the oldest kids would be learning civics and history and shit like that. Whatever you, you know, fucking 14 year olds learned back then. Yeah. Then you quit school, got married, started farming. Out, yeah. You know? Yeah. Basically, when you were a fucking like 16 year old. Well, wouldn't it make sense that they were kind of military like be also because you said the military spouses were teaching in these schools, right? Yeah. So they were kind of a lot of them were based on military style, not, I guess, really cut like for not really as much for that reason. It was kind of seen as a good way to get them to be in line you Being know very strict like, these people need discipline that's what yeah. they're thinking yeah they need discipline that the military can give you because that's where you learn how to stand in a line and get shot at while you try to shoot other people yeah. basically yeah it's it's not like they were training them it's not like a military school it's not like they were training them to ever be in the military they didn't teach them how to you know like dress wounds or you know, stab anybody. No, it no, was no, no. just the discipline. Discip That's the militaristic style of it. Discipline and some loose form of structure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The structure. That's what they wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, in what can only be thought as pure hell, these children would face physical and mental abuse for even the smallest infractions with slappings, beatings, whippings, withholding of food, and solitary confinement being common punishments among most, if not all, of these Indian boarding schools, with a lot of these punishments done publicly for the benefit of the other students, trying to use these bad apples of examples to children as to what not to do. Yeah. Yeah, if you if you beat somebody in front of the others, it will, in their minds, you know, scare them into not doing that. Um, I don't think it's effective, but... You know, you know what I mean? But uh, just beating little kids for this just is just just insane. It's really yeah, sad. Well, a lot of that, a lot of cults were doing a lot of this yep. shit, having public punishments or, you know, telling the members of the group that they had to punish somebody who did something wrong or they would be punished 
you know, basically turning the victims into abusers. A lot of that was happening too. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. I didn't even think about that. Um, they were abused. They then abused the other kids. Those kids grew up. They abused the young kid. It's just over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone listening to the last pod on the left, they're talking about the, this, this system that was set up that had um, juveniles sent to these like away camps where a lot of this stuff was happening. Yeah. 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 And uh, I did listen to that and you know, none of the, you know, this is bad. That was bad. Just these types of things are very bad. Oh yeah, definitely. Now punishment was handed out very liberal with some punishments being received for not following simple directions, talking back, not working fast enough or doing a bad job. I mean, there were also much more like harsher punishments for trying to run away. Uh, Some of the worst were also not speaking English or, you know, trying to practice your own religion or culture. This has really put the victim in danger of having a whole range of violence used against them. Yeah, just just punishment for anything here. Just brutal. Oh, yeah. Just brutal treatment of people for this, you know, what we would consider the stupidest of things. Definitely. Yeah, watching that show 1923, um there's one instance where they put the the main girl that well she's the main character who's at that school they're kind of following the story and they put her in a hot box for a few days like Ooh. out in the sun it's a it's it's basically an outhouse that is just out in the sun and she comes out of it and she looks like she's near death pretty much yeah and Dehy- a lot of those a lot of these places had those heat exhaustion dehydration all that stuff and the solitary confinement Yeah. In a place like that would drive you fucking insane. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Now, without the protection from their family that they had been taken away from, besides the physical and mental abuse, these children were always at the risk of sexual abuse by the officials and the other children at these schools, either in the school or on a so-called outing when these children would be sent out to white families which was basically meant to show these native children kind of what the lifestyle of civilized white Christian families were. Though many of them became nothing more than servants and cheap labor for these households, being forced upon these predators after little to no vetting, so long as the family seemed reputable. Yeah. Yeah. There's never a time when there's some sort of kids involved in a school or whatever thing like this where there isn't sexual abuse. I literally have never heard of a time when there's not. So you can, like you said, who knows how much sexual abuse was going on, especially if they were sent to some fuck of, you know, the Johnson's household. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's just, I don't know. I mean, they, they actually try to do things to like shit from happening nowadays. I remember when we were in school, Catholic school, they would send us out with the magazine sales, trying to sell magazines and shit, having us go out by ourselves to, you know, some random fucker's house, you know, door to door, trying to sell magazines. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just, that, maybe just even that shit was fucking thinking about it now is like, oh my God, fucking anything could have happened out there. You know, probably walked up to the local pedophile's house unbeknowing to you. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And all those, you know, Fucking who knows? 
know, that was even before fucking like the internet and shit. People didn't know anything. But... You know what? The, you know what the church said: as long as the pedophile is a paying customer, that's all we care about. <laughs> or or the clergy. Or the clergy. Yes. Now, at first, like we mentioned previously, early schools would be run by the family of militaries and actually on military bases near the reservations uh, which they served. However, after the end of the military control over the schools, of course, organized religion would step right in and fill in those gaps. Now, as a part of the federal Indian boarding school system, the department actually contracted several religious institutions and organizations. This included the American Missionary Association of Congregational Church, the Board of Foreign Missions of the Presbyterian Church, the Board of Home Missions of the Presbyterian Church, the Protestant Episcopal Church, and of course, the Bureau of Catholic Indian Missions, the fucking Catholic. Yeah, our arch nemesis, the Catholics. <laughs> Um, yeah, okay. So I think this is getting into the territory where I have heard more about this, where it's like the church is kind of taking over, strong arming, trying to warp these kids into what they believed they should be, you know, believing in God, going to church, donating money to the church, yada, yada, yada. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you really think about it, the only time you can get anyone that crap. Is when they're children, yeah. when they also believe in the tooth fairy, Santa Claus, and dragons and shit. You know. <laughs> hey, I still believe in dragons. Let's not go there. No, um, but yeah, yeah. If you get them scared early, then maybe that fear will resonate for them the rest of their lives. A pain customer, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what. So let's just do a little math here, right? Uh, I don't remember how many kids we had in our class. What was it like? Twelve. So yeah, if they, at the end of the day, out of the 12 kids, let's just say three of them are still Catholics and go to church every day. Do you think they're happy with that, you know, 20% or yeah, 25% margin there? Mm, well, they got to be realistic I'll... about, you know, return customers here. Here's the thing. So it used to be much higher. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. People actually used to go to church. Like nowadays, no one under the age of 60 goes to church except for Easter and Christmas. And that's only if their parents come, you know, there's no, no one goes anymore. Churches are fucking nearly empty now. So, well, especially the Catholics, I think people have moved to more lighthearted churches. <laughs> they don't tell you you're going to hell for everything and you can like sing and dance and they deliver the messages. Churches. Yeah. Crystals and shit. There you, there you go. go. But I'm saying, from what I've learned, like Christian branches, they have learned how to deliver the message in like a fun way that people like feel like they're having fun with it. Oh, yeah. Those places are probably filling up. Yeah. But Catholics, like you're where they're do it's doom and gloom and shit. I don't people aren't about yeah. that anymore. I was just talking about the Catholics. Ah, okay. I just meant Catholic churches are emptying out. And a lot of that has to do with the, you know, the priests being pedophiles. And shit. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. That probably was, that was not a good look for them. <laughs> no, yeah, it definitely didn't help them out very much, especially when it turned out their, the Pope, their leader was, uh, you know, shuffling pedophiles around. 
doing that I, shit. I saw he, you know, the new one is pushing really hard for like um, acceptance of the gay community or the LGBTQ. And uh, he there, I literally saw it today. He was begging other countries to drop their anti LGBTQ laws, like the anti ones. So he's trying to wrangle in the customers anywhere he can at this point. Yeah, they definitely picked a good one after uh, that Nazi that they had in before Benedict. Uh, the new one that they've got, he's like he's like two seconds away from introducing Buddy Jesus onto the stage. <laughs> I think that <laughs> old one, one of them just died. I maybe it was him. Benedict just died. He just died. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think he might have been wanted for war crimes, but <laughs> it's, Ooh, not not, good. not war crimes, but uh, crimes against humanity. That one ah. for all of the shit he was doing. Yeah. Now, approximately fifty percent of the federal Indian boarding schools may have received support or involvement from a religious institution or organization. This included funding, infrastructure, and of course personnel. Now, like I talked about previously, uh, a lot of the funding was actually coming from, you know, the sale of Native American lands, reservations being kind of chopped up and reappropriated, let's just say. So in order to get a lot of that funding, these religious organizations were being paid on a per-person basis. Basically, per student, they would be paid, which is kind of like when we were talking about before, like wanting to fill up these schools. There was a lot of pressure for, you know, maximum amount of attendance, especially like a for-profit scam like the Catholic Church. They really want to get their numbers up so that they get that money. Okay. Okay. That makes sense why they were pushing it so hard. Not only yes. could they get money up front, if they get converts, they can get money later on. Yeah, definitely. They're, I mean, they're always looking towards the future. So there is separation of church and state. Really, the federal government is not supposed to be kind of mandating anything for the churches. The churches aren't supposed to be kind of taking funding from the federal government, that kind of thing. But really, in this instance, it was almost like these churches were being contracted by the government to do this. So it was direct funding, which is kind of weird because it really shouldn't be happening. That No. I feel like back then, especially, is a little bit more loosey goosey with the. I mean, clearly, with the, the books, yeah, yeah, with the freedom of religion thing, definitely. Oh yeah, there was no freedom from religion. No, then. no, absolutely yeah, not. No. So as you can imagine, so like I was saying, uh, these schools really were meant to be filled up to maximum capacity uh, by the people running it, just to get as much federal money as possible as this was one of the few legal ways for the government to fund religious institutions. Now, these schools would fill dormitories with bunks, sometimes having multiple children sleeping to a bed. Imagine having these beds just lined up with barely enough room for a child to squeeze between them. So they are trying to wedge as many bodies as possible to fill up or get as much funding as they possibly can. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's just like the private prison industry now, basically yeah. just cramming people in there. They don't doubling, you know, doubling capacity. They don't care about the living conditions or anything. It's just about the bodies in the institution. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. Really, you're talking about all this, you know, funding from the government that's supposed to go towards these children. The funding definitely, like, was not going to children in a lot of these cases. So there's many instances where these children were malnourished and were not treated for their medical ailments. Uh, a lot of the upkeep that these schools depended on to stay open was provided for by free labor from the students themselves. Uh, actually, a lot of these schools would mandate that half of the school day was basically devoted to the children, like learning a trade, which was basically just, you know, whatever scheme that their school had going for them, you know, them working in that situation or doing upkeep to the grounds or to the school. So it it's literally a prison. Yeah, basically. Just like how you hear about some of those like prison farms uh, having the prisoners kind of like, you know, raise cattle or do farm work, that kind of stuff. It was a lot of that. So there were schools that had basically like a working farm that was meant to like feed them, but they would always, you know, sell the food away to make more money. Yeah. Yeah. If there's anything I've learned from this show in particular and, and other things is government will have a good thing, right? To I'm not yeah. saying this is a good thing, but they might have a program that's meant to be a good thing to help people out. Then they decide to outsource it to a yeah. company or organization, and then they twist it into increasing their profits. It's happened so yeah. much. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, a lot of times those, you know, people who work for those corporations end up kind of, you know, wiggle, either wiggling their way into government or as lobbyists. And they get the people inside the government to sign away the rights to doing all of this, just like the prison. So basically a lot of lobbyists, you know, did the lobbying to get the private prison industry in charge of all of these, you know, prisoners and then basically they they come and they claim like, oh, no, it will be cheaper if we do it. We can do it much more effectively because we're corporations and, you know, you guys are government and money slips through your fingers all the time. And then basically it's just a total turnaround where the government's forced to, like, keep these prisons completely like over capacity. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. Money yeah. starts getting just, you know, hand over fist, more expensive for <sighs> all, these, all yeah. these programs. Yeah, it's. I don't know. I don't even know what to say about it. It's just fucked up. Now, as far as the funding aspect of these schools, like I mentioned, they were funded primarily through the forced selling of nations. These were, a lot of times, in order to pay the debts incurred by these tribes and nations after trade debts were incurred because a lot of these places didn't you know, grow food very well. They didn't have a lot of industry. A lot of them weren't allowed to leave and get jobs outside of the reservations or even start businesses on these reservations. So you can imagine they don't have any money. They need resources. They need food. So these huge debts occur. And then basically they have to sell off a large portion of their land. It's kind of, I mean, it's obviously not like a hostile takeover, but it's basically, you know, choking them until they have no choice in yeah. you know forcing their hand to sell some of their land which then that money is used to make conditions terrible for their children more or less yeah it's kind of it's it's basically just whittling away the foundation 
underneath these nations generation after generation. You steal their children and you take their land. Oh, steal more children, steal more land. That sort of thing. It's just such a nefarious thing. It's like, you don't even know yeah. what to say about it, really. It's just so nefarious. Yeah, the whole time, I'm going to mention it here in a little bit, but the whole time they have this aim that just seems to last for over a century of just trying to get them to, you know, blend in, you know, move, you know, the, the, here's the crazy thing though. So they have this idea of having them being like farmers and factory workers and shopkeepers and all of this, but then they never let them leave the land, their reservation. So So a lot of them are, a lot of native American people for centuries, like decades were forced to live on these reservations without being allowed to leave almost like they were being held prison there themselves yeah i was gonna but say. they were also told that you should be more you know more like the white community and you know who were allowed to you know be enterprising you know start their own shit so. yeah yeah it's i don't i don't know it's just bad all around now this as i mentioned before as it was the federal government's aim to end the nomadic hunter-gatherer lifestyle of those native peoples and to, you know, start up their own industry and agriculture. This was basically why the government really wanted to take away these hunting grounds. Uh, they would sell those allotments, of course, to the white American settlers who were moving in, further fulfilling the goal of, in their minds, just taming these once wild lands, making it more productive, most importantly, making them more safe for, you know, civilization coming through like they wanted. Eventually, this was all meant to fold the indigenous peoples into the American system, as it was thought that the Native Americans would, after generations of this happening, separate from their lands and reservations after the forced education had broken them from any culture remaining amongst their people. Yeah, okay. So they're really just trying to just destroy everything about, you know, the indigenous people. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you really look and still to this day, they're, they're trying to, well, you live in Minnesota, which still has, you know, a little bit of like reservation, uh, reservations on it. Um, I know the Dakotas have more, um, Arizona has quite a bit, but basically a lot of that is, you know, under attack still, they're still trying to get a lot of these places, especially around Phoenix. There's developers trying to get these lands. Yeah. I So it's not so much the government, it's like companies trying to get them. Yeah. So nowadays I would say it's more companies trying to get these lands. Yeah. We kind of have went from evil government to evil corporations, corporations which <laughs> I don't know. It's just whatever. But and the thing is, is like you can't vote corporations out you can't do any of that so they're just parasites here to stay but um yeah yeah and now and now they have more rights than most people do so yeah i don't know about minnesota as far in that regards you know obviously like i live in the biggest metropolitan area in minnesota which is kind of south uh what uh, east more central east southeast a little bit um there's a few res lands obviously it's where the casinos are located around here um but up north where it's a lot more wilderness that's 
were more res land is. Yeah, I was thinking more of the whole state and not just like around Minneapolis. But, but yeah, it's um, a lot more than most states, I should say. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying most of it's located up like in the more northern region of Minnesota. As far as like if you look at a map or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, continue on. Well, kind of, well, not really yet finishing this off, but coming up towards the end here, I wanted to save this part for last. Uh, basically, over the years, this there was a huge story in Canada where they're finding these huge mass graves on a lot of these uh, Indian boarding school yeah. lands. Yep. Uh, there's a lot. Oh, I mean, generations and generations of kids were forced to go here. Uh, a lot of them never made it home. Uh People never saw their family members again. Parents never saw their kids. Um, a lot of them would never leave these places. Uh, don't really know how, you know, I mean, their deaths were never never documented. Um, but you can imagine after years of abuse, you know, what malnutrition, abuse, and, you know, if they tried to escape, you know, maybe getting shot even. So it's just, it's all speculation about how they die. But I mean, how many you know how how many schools have mass graves in them basically i you know. i would hope not that many but who really yeah. knows yeah i know <laughs> the um forced i wouldn't say forced adoption but maybe the people adopting them didn't know they were being forced to be adopted i know that was a a thing with like uh indigenous children as well it's kind of yes. a big thing i don't know about any you know in the 2020s but uh, yeah, 80s, 70s, 80s, 60s. I know that was a thing. So there was also, like I, I mentioned those outings. A lot of those were meant to become like, like adoptions was okay. getting, you know, getting taken out to these, these families. And then a lot of them were meant to be like, if they were, if they enjoyed having the children around and, you know, they would kind of make it a permanent thing. Like this is your home now basically sort of gotcha and you gotta imagine it for those kids too if they find a decent family who wants a kid and who's gonna treat them well you would much rather be at that home than at you know some cramped disgusting indian boarding school yeah yeah that's very true too that is very true yeah so over the nearly two centuries that these schools dotted the united states hundreds of indian boarding schools throughout the u.s and it wasn't until 1978 with the passing of the Indian Child Welfare Act, that parents gained the legal right to deny their children's placement in these schools. Now, after that happened, of course, most of the remaining schools were forced to close or at least soften or completely put an end to their harsh and violent tactics. There are some that still remain open to this day, but they are, it's night and day how much different they are. Well, you hope they are than yeah. in the past. So, like, um, is that what the picture is here? Yeah. So I have the picture below. I'll put this up on Instagram, but you can see where they were located. These are the ones still in operation, correct? No, these are, this is a, this is a map of kind of where all of the ones that the report knows about the, the, the architects of the report. These are the ones that they know about that were open. Well, it looks like, uh, <laughs> Missouri and uh, Arizona, not looking great, Phil. Um, oh, that's Oklahoma you're seeing, which Oklahoma is like a large portion of Oklahoma is. Res- 
So oh, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. basically, this map has little dots for where they know of or believe that an Indian boarding school was. The darker brown areas are reservation land. So you can see most of Oklahoma is reservation land. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but I'm saying yeah, the other sadly, one. Sadly, that's also that's also where a lot of the these schools were. Uh, but it is Missouri, right? That has a lot of them on the other side. Or is it Kansas? Yeah, so Kansas. Kansas, okay. Yep. Minnesota's got uh, along, quite a Along few. the Missouri River there. Minnesota's yep. got, you know, quite a few. Um, yep. And it's in that northern region that you were talking about. It's all north of Minnesota, all north of Minneapolis. Yeah, it looks like there's one maybe kind of where the cities would be. But um, yeah, more in Wisconsin. Yeah, this is... Uh, so you said these some of these are still ran, correct? Well, they're not as technically like... they're yeah. So they're they're probably more like schools now rather than you know concentration camps, which a yeah. lot of them were like yeah. back then. So you got to remember, a lot of them were set up for different reasons. So some of them were or- back in the past. Some of them were orphanages. Some of them were kind of more like juvenile hall type situations. Um, not every single one of them was the same. Obviously they're not, you know, being run by the same organizations. So they're going to be different. So you can't say that they're, you know, they're all like, it's, it's bad situation for all of them pretty much, but they're not all bad in the same ways kind of deal. Yeah. I obviously where you and I grew up, I don't think there's any, uh, native Americans. Um, but some of the people, you know, that I grew up around here, obviously a lot bigger schools. Um, they said there was like some of the indigenous kids would just go to regular high schools. I don't know if that's just kind of what they did around here or what, you know what I mean? But um Well, I mean, I don't know if it's it's not like Native Americans are forced to live on reservations. Anymore. No. They can they can move now if no, they no, want no, no. to. I know uh, that, but what I'm saying is like <laughs> to me, that would lead me to believe that a school like this probably isn't on reservation land around here anymore. Oh, yeah, I gotcha. Well, I mean, I mean, reservations, you know, like a lot of them are going to have schools and everything, towns and, you know, people living there. But the kind of places that we're talking about uh, probably don't exist there anymore. Um, you hope none are run by the Catholics, especially. Yeah, I don't, you know, I would assume, you know, I've heard some stories, few states, I genuinely, my mouth's like a gape by the religious control they still have uh, over the citizens. Oh, the Bible Belt? Yes. Um, Yeah, yeah, I'm like genuinely shocked by that. (laughs) Because, you know, I mean, there's there's religious people everywhere, right? But Minnesota especially where I am, it's like very, I don't want to say atheist, but it's very like, I would say on the lower end of religious people. Oh yes. I mean, any city is going to be like that, you know, but I'm saying, I think even some of the Bible belt cities are like pretty hardcore. Yeah. There's especially down South. Yeah. 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 And I imagine Salt Lake city is (laughs) probably an interesting (laughs) place to go to. Supposedly they're softening up, but yeah, still, I, I don't know if I'd want to live there. Nah, but, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know, Phil, this is just, uh, 
an all-around very dark thing that the U.S. government and religious groups, organizations had their hand in. It's just, I would hope to God that we, at least all we can speak for is the United States of America. I would hope they've learned their lesson uh, about doing such things as this. Well, the war in Iraq and Afghanistan just went on 20 years and now, you know, I mean, yeah. the civilization building, that sort of shit still happens, you know, True. trying to get those people to like, oh, we're going to give them freedom and we're going to give them McDonald's and Walmart. They're just going to, you know, it's like, oh, that didn't work at all. You know, no, no, absolutely so, not. That uh, That is a very good point, Phil. I didn't even uh didn't even consider yeah. that. Maybe we will never learn our lesson then, or at least the the military or government will not learn its lesson. Yeah, no, people probably won't. People, most people are stupid. They don't really learn. <laughs> it's <laughs> it is very true. I never put any faith into humanity. It's not, uh, especially you give any human being just an ounce of power, and they're gonna fucking take advantage and try to. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, no. There's, you know what? Yeah, no. Just have faith in your close friends and uh, the people you like. You probably can't trust too many other people. But don't put too much trust into them. Either, hey, so. you got to make yourself vulnerable, <laughs> Phil. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. But uh, but what do you? What are your closing uh, feelings on this? Well, you know, um, God, just uh, humanity sucks. Pretty fucking terrible. It's nice to live in a time. I mean, we're not, it's not perfect, obviously. It's better than it's ever been, like you mentioned. Um, I don't know. It's just, you're glad you're not living during these times when basically, you know, the federal, the, there was so much overreach, which, I mean, there's a lot of overreach now, but it, there's not people, you know, well, actually there is, but, you know, the families have to agree to it now. So the abduction of children from homes, basically. Yeah. Yeah, the basically talking about the last podcast on the last episode, what's happening, you know, the uh, troubled teen industry that last podcast on the left has been doing a really good job with. Yeah, that's another, you know, aspect that I I mean, I've heard of troubled teens, but I didn't really know what it was. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. Well, Dr. Phil always glamorizes when they come and duck them their houses so <laughs> well dr phil i he's a he's a character um the, i mean what else can you say about him he i think he he's a, go ahead he's a card carrying commie that's what yeah is. yes he is uh yeah I, I i don't know i was thinking about kind of when we're going through this whole thing i don't know if you will feel the same way but from all my schooling and stuff i feel like this show and the you know when I was doing Bumblebutt or even listening to podcasts I feel like I've learned a lot more about the dark untold history or unknown or darker facts of life um do you know what I mean yeah Yeah, especially shit like this where it's just been swept under the yeah so it's like never heard I remember the first time I came to well so 2016 the first time I lived in driving around and they have a road out here called Indian school road. And basically it's the road where the Indian school was on, which is still there. It's a museum now, but 
Oh, like, is it just they had, they had one in in Phoenix. What uh, what type of museum is it? Just like of what it went on at the school, or like indigenous people well, stuff, it, or the ground? I have never been there, but I don't know what is inside of it. But basically, it's like the grounds is now a huge park, and the building is like the big building complex is still there because it was only closed in 1990. Whoa. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I got, I don't know. That's just, I mean, you tend to forget that was 30 years ago, but it, you know, for you and I, that doesn't seem like that long ago. Shit. Yeah. We were, we were in fucking kindergarten. kindergarten yeah. It was yeah. five. The, the year that it closed down, we were starting kindergarten. So yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's Cause a- it seems we've been talking about this stuff like it was, you know, back in the 1800s, long time ago, 1930s. But that place was open till the 90s. A lot of these places were open until the 80s. You know what I mean? Like they started closing down in the 70s and 80s. So yeah, that's uh, that's way too late to be in operation if they were continuing the practices like you described. Oh, they definitely uh, were softening up until so- they closed down after. Yeah, after basically a lot of uh, the rights and you know people actually started getting their rights and everything. A lot of it softened up, though. So. Gotcha. Okay. Well. Yeah. So I, oh, I, uh, basically I had read some stories about um, a woman who had gone to one of these, I believe it was the Phoenix one, actually. She had gone to that school in the 80s. And basically she was allowed to, like, all the kids were allowed to wear their hair however they wanted, kind of like wear whatever kind of dress. They weren't forced to wear, like, uniforms and shit, so. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, that's, yeah. that's progress, I suppose. But, uh, all right, Phil. Well, if anybody wants to contact us, how can they uh, go ahead and reach us? Well, if you want to get a hold of us and tell us uh, how we fucked this up or how big of assholes we are, you can get a hold of us at subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from everybody, no matter what you want to tell us. Uh, love everything, you know, uh, great story, I- great episode ideas. You know, let us hear it. A even better way to get a hold of us is Instagram, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Same thing. Love to hear from you guys. Actually, heard from quite a few people in the last week. So, you know, uh, talking about the Reagan administration and, you know, aliens and even Jimmy Carter seeing aliens is pretty fun. But uh, yeah, you know, you want to get a hold of us individually. My Instagram is sgpodphil. Cody, you have one? Yeah, you can follow me at Cody's above. Give me a follow. Send me a message. Tell me about the show ideas, whatever you please. The last thing we ask you guys to do is to log on to iTunes, leave a show five-star review, preferably written. doesn't particularly matter what you say. Just type something in there, hit uh, five stars, hit submit, and you are done. If you're a Spotify user, it's even easier. You just simply hit five stars, hit submit, and that's it. You're done. You're anonymous. We don't know who did it, but we thank everybody who's taking the time to review the show in any way or form. Well, Phil, excellent episode. Very dark, but I think yep. it is history that needs to be told Unfortunately, history is not always, you know, the easiest to swallow, but you got to hear it. We'll see you guys. Definitely. We'll see you guys next. Thanks, guys.